It's always a joy to be able to come home and be here at our home church, and I'm grateful for the invitation on this special day to be here. I'd like to ask you to help me, however, and uh, I'm trying to figure something out. I'd like for you to listen carefully to each of the four music clips we're about to play, and I want you to, to let me know if you can help me place what these music clips go to. And so I want us to listen to the first one. And so, Eric, when you're ready, listen closely to this first music clip. Okay, what theme does that go with? Andy Griffith. Everybody knows you still, I mean, you can still watch the Andy Griffith show. You like the Andy Griffith show? We watch it. We've got all the episodes on DVD at our house. Do you know there are words to that theme song? There are. Okay, the Andy Griffith Show. Let's listen to the second one, see if you can help me remember what it goes with. Okay, how many of you know what show that goes with? All right, what show does that go with? The Waltons, all right? Remember the Waltons? All right, we've got kind of a little multi-generational thing going on there. All right, now listen to this third clip. You're going to have to listen carefully, but help me remember what show it goes with. This is a pop test. All right, Trey, what does it go with? Uh, Fresh Prince. All right, yeah. You're the boss, man, yeah. All right, good deal. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Okay, one other. Listen to this fourth one. Some of you were singing along with it, weren't you? Okay, Bob, what show is that? Brady Bunch. All right, congratulations. Okay, now, are all of those shows alike? They're not, are they? I mean, we've got different generations. We've got different context. We've got single parent. We've got traditional. We've got blended. But what do all of those shows have in common? Family. They're all about family. And those shows all top the charts in their appeal to viewers. In fact, you can still go home this afternoon and you will be very easy to find on the cable stations those shows still in syndication, still being shown. Families are very important. And Jesus has something to say about families. In fact, he has something to say about caring for families. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, we find one of the places where Scripture teaches us about family. And I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open and to follow along with me as we look at these first four verses in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, really to understand the principle 
that's at play here, we kind of have to back up to chapter 5 and verse 21. Chapter 5 and verse 21 kind of sets out the principle that Paul then begins to apply with regard to domestic issues, family issues, or what's called the household codes here in Ephesians 6. But Ephesians 5.21 says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then he takes that principle and begins to apply it very specifically with regard to the family. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, we're just going to stop right there for just a moment. First of all, do you realize how revolutionary it is what we just read? Paul directly addresses children. He directly addresses children, and this is something very unusual for the first century culture. For children to be given that type of attention and that type of status. Their presence in the congregation of believers is assumed by Paul. And Paul assumes that when this letter is being read, that there are children present in the congregation. The word children here can include adult children, but it's certainly not limited to adult children. But the children here are old enough to be conscious of a relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, but young enough to still be in the process of being raised. Paul makes children as responsible for the good ordering of the household as he does the parents. He raises their status and their responsibility. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Often we get really caught up in that word obey. The word obey here means to listen seriously to and follow the direction given by your parents. And he makes this very clear and very strong because he uses an imperative form verb, obey. Notice this. Obey your parents. Both parents are involved. That's something very unusual in first century Greco-Roman culture also. Children are invited not simply to copy the example of Jesus when he was subject to his parents in Luke 2, but to realize that both they and their parents are under the lordship of the living Christ. Now, the basis for obeying is given at the end of verse 1, for this is right, or literally, this is righteous. In Romans 1, 29 to 31, Paul identifies the disobedience of children as all too common among the Gentiles. In fact, Paul says that it's tearing the Greco-Roman culture apart. He says it is a symptom of a collapsing social structure and that Christian families have a particular responsibility not to contribute to that collapse. And so Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now the assumption here is that this is a Christian home. This is a Christian family. That both the mother and the father And the children are living under the lordship of Christ. 
But Paul doesn't just stop there with what he sees happening in society. He then applies the sanction of Scripture by quoting the fifth commandment. Look at verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. As Paul is teaching, as he's making this application of Ephesians 5.21 to the context of the domestic dynamics, he then appeals to what children had already learned, their Bible. Christian education began with the Ten Commandments in the first century, with learning what is called the Decalogue. And the chief point of Paul quoting here from the book of Exodus is to confirm that obedience is right because it is part of a life that pleases God. And so if we are indeed serious about living a life that's pleasing to God, then we will follow the guidance and the direction that he has given us even from the very beginning about the kind of life that pleases him. This same commandment is cited by Jesus as being neglected in Jewish practice by a rabbinical ruling current in the day of Jesus regarding the law of vows or Corban. And in Mark 7, 9 through 13, Jesus speaks a very harsh word against older children who are neglecting the care and response to the needs of their parents by using a technicality of rabbinical teaching. And Jesus doesn't say anything very nice about that practice going on. It seems that Jesus takes pretty seriously this aspect of children obeying our parents. Honor your father and your mother. To honor is to respect and to esteem them, to value them. This is the first commandment with a promise. It doesn't mean the first in order, the first sequentially. It means the first of importance, the first of significance. This is the beginning point of a life that's pleasing to God. Look at verse 4. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The parent-child relationship is not one-sided in the Christian home. Paul consistently teaches that the stronger have obligations to the weaker. And the gospel introduces a fresh element into parental responsibility by insisting that the welfare of the child, the weaker, needs to be considered. We're taught that by Jesus. And the focus on the father is expected because in the Greco-Roman world at the age of seven until about the age of 16, it was the father who had charge of a child's education. Often a private tutor would be hired to help, but the father was the one responsible for educating the child. In fact, a child remained under the control of the father until the father died, the Greek custom, or until the father turned 60 years of age, which was the Roman custom. So in a society where a father's authority was absolute, what Paul is teaching here in Ephesians 6 is revolutionary. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
in contrast to what you see going on around you in society. Honor your father and your mother, which is the commandment of primary significance, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. The parent is in as much need of proper behavior in relationship to a child as the child is to the parent. Teaching involves one remark about what is wrong for a parent to do and one remark about what is right for a parent to do. Look at what Paul says is wrong. Do not provoke your children to anger. Paul warns us against goading our children into a state of perpetual resentment. He's not thinking of extreme instances like disinheritance, but about the everyday tensions of family life in every one of our homes. We must not make unreasonable demands on children. This involves avoiding attitudes and words and actions that drive a child to angry exasperation. It rules out excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging, condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, all forms of major insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Otherwise, otherwise, because of being overcorrected, we will break the child's spirit and the child will lose heart. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but here's the positive. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The training. Nurture is too weak of a word here. The training and the instruction, the verbal correction and teaching. It implies advice and encouragement as well as reproof when necessary. And it's not just any sort of education that's referred to here. Look, and fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is training in the kind of life that pleases God. Children are our heritage from the Lord. They are a gift. They are to be reared for Him. Now I have a confession to make to you, okay? There was a major decision made in our home in the last 72 hours. It's been months coming. And I confess it to you both as confession and as a prayer request. Our son finally decided where he's going to go to college. Yes, yes, I know. Go ahead. Now, here's the problem. No, it couldn't be LSU. No, it couldn't be Tulane. It's Alabama. (laughs) At least he's still in the SEC.
Here's the word of hope I try to take from this. We've prayed and hoped that our children be raised to be missionaries. We're sending him off as a missionary to Alabama. I still doubt whether anything crimson red will make it into the house, however. Alabama! Well, raising children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is raising them up following the example of Christ with the Lord in view, putting into practice His way of living. Now, do you realize that it is amazing that Paul insists on children not being treated as mere property? If you know very much about the first century Greco-Roman culture, you understand that both wives and children in that culture were consistently, frequently treated as possessions. Look at what Paul is doing. He says children are not to be treated as property. They're to be treated with tenderness. They deserve respect. And it's a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he treats us as sinners. How do we have families that care for each other? Here's what characterizes caring for family. Number one, caring families share responsibilities. The children in this teaching are just as responsible for the nature and orderliness in the family as the parents. In our families, we have housework, yard work, mechanical work, financial management. And children have a role to play in all of those tasks. We share responsibilities toward each other. Being a part of a family is not a one-way street. Families do a lot of one-anothering. We love one another, we care for one another, we lift up one another, we confess our faults to one another, and we forgive one another. Do you know what that sounds like? kind of sounds like a church. Do you realize we are a family here at First Baptist Church? And as a family, we're to be one anothering, loving one another, caring for one another, lifting up one another, confessing our faults to one another, and forgiving one another. Caring families share responsibilities. Caring families share meals. When the long-winded preacher is over and our Bible study for the morning is completed, most of us will go to share a meal together with family. Those of us in personal relationship with Jesus by faith shared a meal together around our Father's table this morning because... We're family. Caring families share meals. And caring families share hearts. We share our hearts with each other. 
Now I want to ask you to do something for me. I want to ask all of our graduating seniors from any school, any degree to stand. All of the graduating seniors, not just high school, but certificate, undergraduate, to graduate, all, come on, seminary students, those who have finally made it, you thought Jesus was going to come before you'd finish. You wonder if there's a building going to be named for you. Okay, all of the graduating seniors. Now, I want to ask you to do something, okay? I want you to, I want you to just come and just stand right down here. I'm not going to weird you out. I'm not going to ask you to you know, double your tithe or anything like that. Just come on, stand down here. Now, as they're coming, I now want to ask this. I'd like to ask all of the family members of these graduates. Come on, bud. I'm going to ask all of the family members of these graduates to come and now to stand around them. Come on, mom, dad, brother, sister, cousin, uncle, aunt, grandmom, granddad. And get close to your son, your daughter, your sister, your brother, your husband, your wife. Pull in close. Come on, Trey, get on down here. Come on down. Caring families share their hearts. And what we see up here this morning are hearts that are connected in a very special and deep way. I want to ask us to do something. Andrew Crosby, are you here? Wave at me. Come here just a second. You didn't know this was going to happen, but I was assured that you were up to the task. Andrew is our pastor to university students and I'm sure does a multitude of other things as well. And when we look at these graduating seniors and their family, would you like to give them a word of encouragement and congratulations, church family? Go ahead and do it right now. Andrew, I'm going to ask you to lead a brief word of prayer, of dedication and celebration with regard to this major accomplishment in the lives of these members of our family known as First Baptist Church. And uh, we have some who are finishing high school and anticipating starting college, others who are completing college, seminary, graduate, undergraduate. Would you lead us in a prayer on behalf of us as a church family for these special people? God, we come before you, and uh, we thank you for these students um, and what you've done in their lives, and we thank you as a church body for what they have done in our lives and how uh, they have been connected to us and how they've inspired us and challenged us, and uh, we pray as they go forward that we would stay connected with them and that we would continue to challenge and inspire them as they challenge and inspire us, and that you would be present in these relationships um, as we go forward. Thank you for these students. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Caring families share responsibilities. Caring families share meals. And caring families share hearts. Last, caring families share an identity. They share an identity. Now, those of us in a personal relationship with Jesus by faith 
have been adopted into his eternal family. And in Ephesians, the basic principle for caring families is found in Ephesians 5, 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. These Ephesians directions that we have here are very similar to those found in Colossians. Colossians 3, Paul again gives the same instruction with regard to caring for families. And the basic principle in Colossians is found in Colossians 3, 17 and 23, and it's this principle. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what that means is that as followers of the Lord Jesus, we are in the whatever family. Whatever you do in word or in deed. You see, in word and in deed, we've given up our control to God. We trust and obey the Spirit. We've jumped off the fence. We've stepped over the line. We've pulled out the stops. There's no turning back. There's no looking around. There's no slowing down or backing away or letting up. It's a whatever life against the odds, outside the box, over the wall, without goal lines other than thy will be done in Jesus' name. Our past is redeemed, our present is empowered, and our future is secure. Our hearts are open, our end is heaven, our road is narrow, our way is rough, our companions are few, but our guide is reliable. So we're finished with low living, small planning, tame visions, trash talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. We are members of the family of whatever. We're done primping and pimping for the overdogs, the wonder dogs, the lap dogs, and even the underdogs. We're done playing according to the rules, whether it's Robert's rules, Miss Manners' rules, Martha Stewart's rules, Oprah's rules, or Donald Trump's rules. We no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. We don't have to be first. We don't have to be recognized. We don't have to be praised, be regarded, or be rewarded. Our guide in this family is simply this, whatever in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God did not put us here to please the dominant culture or to serve any all-show, no-go bureaucracy. We live to please the eternal Father and our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our purpose is to do whatever we can in His name for His glory. Sometimes we're called to sharpen the cutting edge and sometimes to blunt the cutting edge. We can't be satisfied with the old-time religion or even the new-time religion. We want the all-time religion that's as hard as rock and as soft as snow. We're members of the family of whatever. We can't be bought by personalities, perks, positions, or prizes. We won't shut up or give up, but we will step up and give in to humbleness of heart and generosity of spirit. In the face of adversity, we will no longer simply hang in there. We will stand in there. We will run in there. We will pray in there. We will sacrifice in there. We will endure in there. In fact, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will do everything in there. Our faces are upward. Our feet are forward. Our eyes are focused. Our knees are worn. Our hearts are burdened. Our spirits are light. And our road is narrow. And our mission is cheer. 
church is clear. We are members of the family of whatever. We won't be seduced by popularity, sidetracked by criticism, trapped by hypocrisy, or trivialized by mediocrity. Whether in Hollywood, in Washington, in New York, or in New Orleans, just because the show must go on doesn't mean the show is worth watching. We won't compromise at the enemy's table. We won't pander to the pressure of our peers. And we won't bow to the power of this world. We are organized religion's best friend and worst nightmare. We won't back down, slow down, shut down, or let down until we're prayed out, taught out, healed out, or hauled out of God's mission that's been entrusted to those of us in the whatever family. As participating members of the whatever family, our basic identity is as a caring family of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as a loving, caring family who live in Christ. You see, we don't walk simply in his steps. We walk deeply in his spirit. We don't just ask, what would Jesus do? We ask, what is Jesus doing? We're a band of adopted followers of Jesus whose mission is to do whatever in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're anointed to take good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, whether they're downtrodden or upscaled, overlooked or underrepresented, whatever we do in word or deed, to comfort those who mourn, to give garlands in place of ashes, to offer gladness in place of sadness, to sound a symphony of praise instead of a jingle of fear. We'll comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Our day is the favorable year of the Lord, and it is now, and it is real, and it is brief. So until Jesus comes again or calls us to our eternal home, you will find us as the class of 2010, not wasting time, but redeeming time in whatever we say or do. So that one day, one day, he'll pick us out of the lineup of the ages as one of his children. And then, then it will be worth it all. And we'll hear these words, the most precious words that a family member can ever hear. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Well done, thou good and faithful member of the whatever family. Caring families share an identity and it's more than just a last name. We are the whatever we do, family, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what about you? Are you longing for a caring family this morning? A family on mission? A family with a purpose? A family that's safe? A family that takes the risk of loving and being loved.
because of what Jesus Christ has done in his sinless life, sacrificial death, and miraculous resurrection, God this morning will adopt you into his family if you'll come to him in faith and repentance. Will you come this morning? Will you come and let him adopt you? Come and know the care that he offers to anyone who comes in faith and repentance and be loved. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, in just a moment we're going to have a word of prayer. Pastor Bob's going to be down front praying and hoping that you'll come this morning, that this will be your moment of saying yes to the Lord Jesus, of being adopted into his family and to know his care. Maybe you already know the Lord Jesus, but you need a church home in which to leverage your life. First Baptist Church invites you to come and to present yourself as a member in this family of faith and to come and proclaim Jesus Christ without shame or fear. After we pray, we'll stand and sing. And when we stand and sing, we invite you to come from wherever you are this morning to just step out to the aisle, come down and let us know what God's doing in your heart. Maybe you just need to come and pray. Parents, maybe you just need to come and pray with your son or your daughter. and Maybe you need to thank God for them. Our Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this class of 2010. But thank you mostly for Jesus who has adopted us into his family and we have known his care. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.